All right. Thank you, everyone, for joining us for another installation of A4LI's podcast series. Uh, I am being joined by uh, the prestigious, the the very well-known Eric Verden from the Buck Institute. The CEO of the Buck Institute is with us today, Eric Verden. Uh, Eric, can you say hi to our A4LI audience? Yes. Good, good morning, Dylan. Thanks for having me. And uh, good morning or good afternoon to your audience, wherever you are. Delight, I, I, delighted to be here. You're you're a Pacific guy. I'm a I'm an Eastern guy. Uh, it seems that the community we need we need some more Mountain Time and Central Time uh, 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 longevity people. I don't know where they are, but it seems that they're either on East or uh, West. So uh, yeah, for me it's it's afternoon. For you, I guess it's good morning. But thank you, Eric, for joining us. I really appreciate it. Um, so so you know the first question I kind of want to ask you, and this is how I I start off pretty much every interview. Uh, is, is, is I like to know what got our guests into this space because it's such a, you know, aging research, right? It's such a, 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 a niche and, and, and specific and unique field to be, uh, you know, involved in, right? So, so Eric, can you kind of give us your backstory, give our audience your, ba- your backstory, you know, who were your inspirations? What inspired you to, to, to make aging your, your, your cause? Uh, yeah, floor is yours. Yeah, um, it, it's fun to reminisce on this because I think you know many of us go through life uh, not always fully aware of why we are making specific decisions. But there's there's in terms of my career in uh, in science and medicine, there, there's definitely a few things that sort of landmark moments that I like clearly remember. One of them, which I was seven years old, I was invited to a, a birthday party, and and my friend got a a microscope and crystals to look at. And I still remember, I mean, to this day, uh, the feeling of awe that I had by sort of looking at reality in a different way, just looking at these simple, you know, copper crystals and, and so on under a microscope and discovering something that was so beautiful and different. And that that really was one one uh, marking event for me. And from that moment, I, I had this feeling, I, I'm going to be a scientist. I, I want to do something related to science. And uh, another event that that happened in my youth was the, the lunar lunar landing. Mm-hmm. And I remember mm-hmm. being on vacation and watching this on, on, on television, on a, on a small television in a camping ground with my parents mm-hmm. and just feeling this is just awesome and you know really envisioning all of the future of humanity both in terms of space travel and and, and just the, the technological potential so mm-hmm. those, those two just really drew me to a career in in in, in science which was initially focused on astrophysics and, and i wanted to be a physicist and but eventually uh, on the advice of a family friend told me you know the, the next century is going to be you know when you going to be doing your career is going to be really focused on medicine and biology Mm -hmm. and so i decided to go to medical school and i was in sort of an unorthodox medical student because i did research all throughout medical school and Uh then went uh, did a couple of years of clinical training and then went directly for postdocs uh, with ron can at harvard medical school where i I never came out. <laughs> I went into the into the lab, you know, thinking this will be a, a research experience, and I'll go back to seeing patients and doing research. But I never went back to uh-huh. the clinic, and so 
I've conducted most of my my research career studying epigenetics. My lab mm. uh, back in the mid '90s cloned a family of proteins called HDACs, histone deacetylases, which were some of the first known uh, and identified epigenetic regulators. And this led us to aging, mm-hmm. um, because it turned out that not only the HDACs, but the sirtuins, which are also right. uh, uh, epigenetic regulators, were involved in the aging process. And, and so for the last 25 years, uh, I've been basically focusing on, on the biology of aging. There was another another story in my sort of more personal life that made sense, which is um, the story of my father, who was a wonderful man, a great father, but was a heavy smoker. And I yep. saw him, you know, from age fifty five to uh, to to when he passed away at seventy seven, yep. having every single complication of of aging, yep. of, of yep. aging and smoking, you know, heart right. attacks. Uh, bladder cancer, lung cancer. And I, this is at that moment that I really became passionate about just making sure this wouldn't happen to me, but also to anybody else, because I saw, I saw the suffering and I saw the loss of quality of life, which is, unfortunately, is, is the lot of many people in in our, in our society right now. So the combination of, of being a scientist that studies aging and the personal sort of uh, pain of seeing someone you yep. love suffer from 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 the aging process just really has focused me in the last probably seven to eight years on really understanding the mechanism that drive the aging process and and really uh, pushing an agenda for intervention in humans so bring all of this science um, uh, to to humans and that's Absolutely. these are the two the two factors that really if I look at my career right now, what I'm doing, and we, I'm sure we'll have a chance to go through this later, is really focused on the basic biology of aging and its translation yep. into humans. Yep, 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 yeah. Well, my first initial thought to your, your, your response there is, you know, usually you hear uh, uh, like like Elon Musk talk about, you know, the, the space, uh, uh, you know, stuff in the, the or, or, or uh, Bezos or, or Branson or whoever the, the space people talk about, you know, the the uh the the lunar uh 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 the, sorry the, the the moon landing being their kind of inspiration to get into uh, uh science and, and you know really rocket science right but uh you don't hear many uh i've never i've never heard uh you know someone in the age uh, aging biology field talk about uh, <laughs> that the <laughs> yeah right that's interesting um but yeah you know I, I i do agree you know i feel like a lot of people have a lot uh, you know a personal story that uh, you know, pushes them into this field, right? They 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 they, they kind of are, come from a different background. You know, I I I too was a physicist. You know, uh, an old physicist. I was I, I majored in physics in college, and uh, you know, uh, wanted to be you know an engineer for for most of my life. Uh, and I think kind of my my way of thinking through my physics background has kind of led me to you know see the aging process as a as a malleable. Uh, a process that can, you know, we can inter- potentially intervene in, right? And I think, you know, I, your background probably also led you to that belief uh, as, as well, right? So uh, I'm glad that we have you 
uh, leading the charge. But I'm also glad we have you as an, you know, you're an outside the box thinker. And I didn't even realize that. I didn't realize you were, were a physicist before this, but uh, that's, well, that's fascinating. Physicist, I was, I was passionate by physics and, uh, but right. uh, I would not call myself a physicist. <laughs> right, 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 right. I mean, I, I majored in physics and I won't even call myself a physicist. Yeah. Those are, it's, it's, it's hard to call yourself a physicist, but yes, you know, the physics background definitely kind of gives you a different, you know, kind of, uh, viewpoint of this whole biology field. So uh, that, that's fascinating. Um, that's, that's a great backstory. I'm glad, I'm glad that you just told me and, and our audience it. Um, and, you know, it, it is good to kind of uh, look back, you know, I mean, you know, I, I, I've had a shorter kind of window to look back at because I've only been doing this for a few years, but, you know, it's always, it's always nice to kind of look back at and, and see what got you on the path that you are now. Right. So uh, I'm glad we could rehash that. Um, cool. Our, all right, Eric, let's let's get into uh, the, the meat and potatoes here. Uh, let's talk about what you're up to right now at the Buck. What what are you up to? Uh, you know, you're 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 really focused on understanding the process of aging, right? That's the you know, the Buck's main focus. Uh, you know, why what you know, what's the importance of that? Why is it gonna change the world? Uh, you know, can you kind of talk about what the Buck's main focuses are and you know how they'll be uh, you know super impactful in the longevity uh, and aging field? Yeah. Um, yes. So I, I, I wear uh, four different hats and uh, right, maybe yes. I'll, I'll just go through them and as a group. Um, the first one is uh, as the back president and CEO, I, I represent the buck and, and need it. And uh, just a word of introduction for your audience who might not know about us. We, we are 300 people research institute. We're not for profit. We have 20 faculty members. Uh, we study all aspects of aging. Uh, we, we, the premise of our work is that no one really knows which of the manifestations of aging is going to be key in terms of interventions, in terms of you know, bringing this to humans. But, um, and so we have groups working on mitochondria. We have groups working on stem cell. We have groups working mm -hmm. on senescence some on Alzheimer's disease, on, on, on basic metabolism, and so on. So just take the, the nine hallmarks of aging, and we have programs going in every, every single one of them. Uh, one of the things that's happening, uh, so I've been here at the Buck for six years, and mm -hmm. uh, one of the, the transitions that I'm trying to make happen at the Buck is to transform it from a basic research institute on the biology of aging, which we've been for the last 20 yep. years. Yep. We, we opened our doors in 1999, into a true biomedical research institute. That mm -hmm. means really not only studying aging for the sake of studying, and that's, by the way, that's that's already enough, but uh, I think we, we are at a really key transition phase in, in the aging space where many of our discoveries can now be translated in humans. And right. so part much of our growth now and in the future is going to be focused on really bringing the, the translation taking basic discoveries, bringing them to the clinic. So that, that's my, my first hat. The second hat is uh, I, I'm a scientist by training and I still run a, a pretty big lab. Uh, so I'm one of the faculties at the Buck. I have about 25 people in the lab working on, again, different aspects of aging. And we, we can expand on this later. It's still primarily focused on uh, NAD metabolism, ketone mm -hmm. bodies, uh, which mm -hmm. are lie at the interface between epigenetics and, and metabolic regulation. But we've also uh, recently uh, ventured into human immunology of aging. Mm -hmm. 
and and including um, the the generation and the study of new clocks, uh, these mm -hmm. clocks that are that we use to measure aging. So that this would be my my second hat. Uh, the third hat is I'm, I'm involved in a number of startups uh, as a founder. Uh, that are focused on NAD metabolism. Uh, that's a company called Napa Therapeutics and or on ketone bodies. Uh, this is a project that we are conducting in collaboration with uh, the Juvenescence Group. Um, right. And it's focused on generating uh, ketone precursors. So these are products that you can actually drink and that almost instantly within half an hour generate a, a profound state of ketosis. And so we are exploring this from two different perspectives. One is as a supplement that you can buy and it's actually available on Amazon already. Uh, but also uh, another startup is involved in using these ketone esters for therapeutic purpose, that is conducting clinical trials in which we think these ketone bodies are gonna be uh, therapeutically helpful. And then finally, my, my, last, um, my last job is I do consult with a number of companies in the space. And the vision again here is to really carefully pick companies that are, I think are going to be major players uh, in the aging field. And and again, it's part of the, the whole translation agenda. Uh, mm -hmm. Many of these companies are actually sitting at the front and really trying to either do clinical trials or develop novel supplements or develop novel ways of, of practicing medicine. And so the, the companies that I'm involved with, and we, we can discuss them probably in, in, in your next question, mm -hmm, is mm -hmm. you know, are all, I think, pioneers in, in, in different manners uh, in, in this field. And, uh, and I, I'm excited by that work as well. So uh, these, these would be the, the four different categories that, that occupy most of my time. Yeah, well, I have I have so many things to follow up on there that I, I I don't know even I don't even know where to start. So here's where I'm gonna here's where here's where I'll say to start. Uh, you know, uh, you do consult with companies in this space. You're also on a bunch of scientific advisory boards. Uh, not uh, you know one of them being the Alliance for Longevity Initiative. So I uh, I, I I appreciate that you uh, see us as an organization that's going to help with this translational. Uh, issue from, you know, the basic biology to, you know, actual in interventions in humans, because that's, you know, a lot of the work that we're doing, right? So, uh, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm giving, I'm, I'm telling you that you just shouted us out and I'm telling everybody else, guys, Eric Verdon just shouted us out. So go <laughs> us, but, uh, <laughs> um, but so the second thing I want to say is, and, and I'm, I'm sure our audience uh, would, would be interested in this, you know, what's the name of that pill that's, uh, you know, or, or the, it, it's not a drink, it's a pill that's on, uh, that's available right now, but, uh, it, it's a drink, actually. It's okay. Uh, it's got I me. Mean, I, I don't want to be sort of crass in advertising this. It's called Metabolic Switch. Uh, it's a first, okay. and I, you know, if I can qualify it, it's a first generation product. It induces a profound state of ketosis if you take it. Mm -hmm. But uh, uh, unfortunately, it's not selling the way we had hoped. And I think one of the major reasons is uh, is the taste. And so <laughs> this is a. It, it does not taste good and it takes a while to get used to it. Once, you know, once you get used to it, I think, you know, we have a number of people who take it regularly. And if you want to be in ketosis without being on a ketogenic diet, it, it works remarkably well. Right, right. The good news is we're working on the next generation, uh, which uh, actually I just tasted a prototype uh, and it's the taste is gone, which is remarkable. So, All right. 
uh, if you're if you've tried it and you've decided that this is not something you want to be on, uh, keep watching for us. I think we'll be coming up with something in the near future. Absolutely, that's awesome. Yeah, I was gonna say like you know you could add it with some uh, you know put 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 it in like a a shake or something, but I think that would disqualify you from being in ketosis no no you you can't do it and i think she you know it's it's pretty interesting because we you know all of us have experimented with it to try to get Mm -hmm. rid of the taste and there are really unique uh things that that do help mitigate this taste problem and and one of them is you know anything acidic like a kombucha uh will really get get rid of the taste so i know you know myself and other colleagues are, are taking it and just washing, washing it off with a, 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 a mouthful of kombucha. <laughs> it does work. Right. Hey, that's that. That's it's worth. That's definitely worth it for uh, for for increased longevity. So uh, you know, a slight a slight taste in your mouth that you don't enjoy, and then kombucha sounds like not too bad of a <laughs> yes. proposition to me. Um, so so I want I want I want to follow up also specifically. You know, there's a bunch of other things to follow up on. Uh, on that specific the thread you just went on there, but I, I specifically want to talk about biomarkers and clocks because I I was at um, ARDD in, in Copenhagen back in August, and I was at uh, the, the the Longevity Dublin uh, conference in in, in Dublin, the summit, the Longevity Summit in Dublin. Uh, I've, I've been to a few others, uh, and and it seems to me that uh, you know everybody's talking about biomarkers especially at ARD, that's, that was, you know, I would say probably like half of the talks were about biomarkers and creating better clocks and, uh, you know, combining clocks to actually create a true, uh, you know, biological age that actually is, uh, you know, uh, um, uh, indicative of your, your, your overall health, right. And your overall well-being, uh, more so than we have today. So let me ask you, uh, you know, Aging as a disease, right? It's, it, this might be a bit of a loaded question, but where do you stand on it? Do you do you want the FDA to uh, make that decision? Uh, in my mind, you know, we need better clocks before uh, you know the FDA can even come to consider something like that. So, what are your what's what's your thought? What what are your thoughts on you know a aging as a disease? Uh, you know, being uh, kind of uh, you know written in policy in the FDA somehow. Uh, do, you know, do you think it's a good thing or not? But uh, also, can you can you tell the audience the importance of these clocks in, in terms of clinical trials and, and, and why there's so much emphasis on these clocks being developed? Yeah, so it is a loaded question, but I'll try to answer <laughs> it in, in the best way possible. Um, I do not like the concept of aging as a disease. Okay. Um, and the simple reason, I mean, for two reasons. One is... Um, is the fact that it it's sort of a in-your-face type of approach with regards to the FDA mm-hmm. and with regards to medicine. Mm-hmm. And it's the type of uh, a highly divisive question that will polarize people, you know, against some people, against what we are doing. Mm-hmm. Now, it doesn't mean that, you know, deep inside, we might not think, well, you know, the, the aging process itself leads to disease. Okay, it's, it's like high blood pressure by itself is not a disease, but it leads to stroke and it leads to right. you know, all kinds of problems in the long term. So we know aging is the biggest risk factor for all of the chronic diseases of aging. So I, the idea of going and fight the FDA for recognizing aging as a disease um, for which we conduct pure clinical trials 
in some way has been already won partially by uh, Neil Barzilai and his colleagues mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. with the idea that the FDA has approved the clinical trial, uh, a TAM clinical trial to, to proceed. That is the idea of giving metformin for prevention of some of the chronic disease of aging. Mm -hmm. So in some way, you know, there's a lot, there are a lot of people who are discussing, you know, pushing this agenda of aging as a disease and so on. Uh, we we have to recognize that we live in an environment which is uh, medicine, which is ruled by people who are conservatives and yep. and 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 you know benefiting from an existing system. So yep. there is a better way, in my opinion, which is to um, to do it the way most companies are doing it right now, which is to target initially one aging associated disease and demonstrate the the proof of efficacy and of of your medicine. And I'll give you the example is Unity, for example, Unity mm -hmm. Technology, which was mm -hmm. actually launched out of the Buck Institute uh, in collaboration with Mayo Clinic. Um, that company is now conducting clinical trials with senolytics, these drugs that kill senescent cells. And they're making very significant progress. It just released this, this past uh, summer, uh, the first uh, clinical trials uh, that actually worked in the eye. Uh, for some forms of uh, eye disease associated with aging. And so one can imagine, you know, that this drug could then be used for other complications uh, mm -hmm. associated mm -hmm. with aging. So I think if if we, what the fastest way to move is not a sort of a head-on collision with regulatory and medical authorities, in my opinion, the best way is to work within the existing system and develop new drugs that in the long term, might become recognized as protective against aging. And sure. I, I, I could see a time, you know, think about metformin. If the clinical trial is conducted and it works, um, metformin will be the first drug that slows down the aging process. Right. Now, this doesn't mean that we cannot try to conduct new clinical trials that are totally different, where, for example, we would only use a biomarker of aging. Mm -hmm. um, for example, I'm thinking about rapamycin. I think this is one that really calls for a large-scale clinical trial. Um, and you could imagine that the, the readout could be, you know, all of the markers that we have uh, that actually assess the state of aging. So I, I can see we are right in a transition phase where mm -hmm, mm -hmm. We are most people who work in the system uh, have to actually draw money from, from VCs, from investors. Mm -hmm. Uh, mm -hmm. We have an existing clinical trial infrastructure. So this is the way most people are going. Of course, you know, a number of people are pushing on the fringe and saying, well, let's make aging a disease. Right. right. I don't think this is that important right now, frankly. Right. Um, right. It, and we, it, it should be revisited 10 to 20 years from now mm -hmm. when we have a first victory, because I, I always argue to the fact that, um, you know, we have an incredibly ambitious agenda uh, some, you know, more ambitious than others, but we don't have a single victory yet. And, right. and I think the field is in need of establishing right. itself by demonstrating the validity of what we do and, and getting a victory. I, I, I predict I that agree. You know, we will get our first victory in the next five years. But I agree. Maybe, maybe it will be the time trial. Maybe it will be unity. Uh, or maybe it will be another, you know, of the myriads of new companies that are on, yeah. on the horizon. Uh, let's do this first and then establish ourselves a serious player in, in the field. And then, you know, eventually I think we will be, we will be getting to where we want to go ultimately, which is the eradication of most of these diseases.
Completely agree. If, if, if I could have written a script for you to, uh, and by the way, the audience said that this is not what happened, but I could have written a script for you to say, it would have been exactly that. You and I, 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 I you're, I'm glad that my thoughts are the same as yours on this, Eric, because, uh, you know, what I'll say from my position uh, being, you know, uh, the, the, the kind of the political lobby, lobbyist for the uh, uh, community uh, I, I get a lot of people who come up to me and, you know, not, not, not you know, so, sort of demand that uh, I make aging a disease, a focus of what we do. Uh, but, you know, I don't think people understand that. Uh, well, A, just from also just our perspective as an organization, uh, that's quite a big demand to, like you said, there, 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 there's a lot of incentive for the, uh, you know, uh, the FDA and the and you know the current medical system, you know they they, they don't really have much of an incentive to to you know, have it make a massive overhaul and change, right? So uh, you exactly. know that's a big ask. That's a big ask coming in and and making aging as is uh, you know making age declaring aging as a disease, especially like you said when we don't even have a victory, right? Uh, yeah. And you know so, so societally, right? I don't think people are going to ever really accept aging as a disease until there is a you know a, a, a commercial on TV of for a drug, you know, for one of these companies, you know, saying, hey, take us for aging, right? So, uh, you know, I think there actually needs to be a drug out there before we can, you know, start seriously making that ask. Uh, and, you know, a, a lot of these companies that, you know, are, I'm, I'm sure you're involved with many of them. I, you know, I, I see a lot of them doing, uh, you know, who, who, and a lot of them come and support what I'm doing because of the work we're trying to do with the FDA. Um, you know, I, I see them operating perfectly fine in the environment that that, that that exists right now. Right. So I think a lot can get done. I share your optimism. You know, the next five years, I think some really awesome stuff could happen. There's so much in the pipeline. I mean, there, there are hundreds of drugs in the pipeline, you know, phase two, completing phase one, you know, finishing up their, it, 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 it's getting kind of crazy out there. So I'm, I'm glad that you, uh, you know, we're kind of on the same, uh, uh, you know, uh, wavelength there. I'm, I'm glad to hear that. Um, so, so, so let me ask you then, uh, what do you, th you know, if, if, if you had to choose one, you know, uh, a proverbial gun to your head, somebody says, Hey, Eric, you need to pick one longevity therapy that you like the most. What would it be? Oh, this is a really tough one. <laughs> <laughs> you're, ask, you're asking me to choose between my children. I mean, it's you know, no parents can do this. Like, I can highlight a few that are. are all right, all right, all right. <laughs> okay. Um, I'm. If you think about the the longevity space, it has uh -huh. a really unique mixture of sort of your traditional uh, pharma companies or biotech companies. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, of course, you know, Unity is a favorite because it emerged. It's it's the leader of the whole synolytic field. It emerged yeah. out of the buck from uh, Judy Campisi's work. So we're quite proud of what, what they're doing. And we think that they're likely to be the first one uh, to to score a, a true victory. But there, and, and there are other companies in the space. Uh, Deciduous is another one in San Francisco mm -hmm. that really um, is pursuing senescence from another point of view, which I think is equally exciting. Um, I, I'm, you know, so I, I, I can give you some other names also. BioAge with Kristen Fortney yep, is yep. a great company with has shown remarkable growth, has interesting target. They're also taking the approach that I highlighted earlier to go after specific disease, but other companies, you know, Rejuvenate Bio in Belgium, uh, Genflow. Uh, um, but there's also some, so these are like your more traditional uh, biotech companies. Mm -hmm. there, there are also a number of companies that are making uh, noise, uh, which are 
I would describe more as supplement companies. So these yep. are companies that have identified a novel su supplements, but they are pushing them uh, using clinical trials. You know, there are a lot of companies right now that sell all kinds of products that uh, you can take or not. And the, there's always an implicit hope that they will actually be beneficial. And I, I, I want to highlight a couple of companies that are doing supplements but doing it in a way that i think will bring true answers because mm -hmm. the bottom line is you know you can you can spend 70 dollars a month taking something with the hope that it might work for me as a physician this is not enough we have to prove the efficacy of what we sell and we right. we don't want our field to become sort of a, a field of snake oil and charlatan yep. Yep. and i Agreed. think so i i I, you know, a company that comes to mind is uh, is Senec. This is actually a French uh, Swiss company that sells uh, an NMN uh, mm -hmm. sort of precursor to NAD, and they they're conducting you know rigorous clinical trial. Another company I'm thinking about is Amazantis. This is a Swiss company that uh, sells a product called Urolitin A, which is mm -hmm. a, a product that's generated from uh, pomegranate. Uh, by by your microbiome and has really amazing effect on on mitophagy and and mitochondrial function, and they are again also conducting rigorous clinical trials and demonstra demonstrating the efficacy of what they're doing. So those are exciting. Uh, and on top of these supplement companies, there are other companies that are exploring completely novel sort of uh, approaches to longevity. Mm -hmm. One that I, I'm associated with um, that I found exciting is called Lifespan, L-Y-F-S-P-N. Uh, oh, yep, yep, yep. And that's a company uh, led by uh, 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 Dobry Kiprov and Yuri Greenwald uh, that is really looking at uh, plasmapheresis. And so this, this came out of data showing that from, uh, 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 and I'm blanking on the name now, but uh, uh, Irina Convoy and, and yep. her husband yep. showing that plasma dilution actually leads to um, an increase in, in longevity and, and protection increase of health span. So this was these are you know studies that emerge out of the, the heterochronic parabiosis studies where you hook up a, a young and an old mice together with one mm -hmm. single vascularity system and you find the young mouse actually gets older and the, and the old mouse gets younger. So <laughs> this, this led to the idea that there might be factors in the young mouse that would have rejuvenating effects. <sighs> but what the convoys found is that it, it, you know, it, it seems to be that it's more diluting the age-associated factors. That's the mm -hmm. major driver in, in these experiments. And so the idea of doing plasmapheresis in humans is, is really exciting. And so this company is now set up and will be uh, doing its first clinical trials, uh, which are, by the way, truly placebo controlled, which is, I think, a first in, in the field of plasmapheresis to mm -hmm. really make sure that um, uh, what are the beneficial effects, what are the markers that you can identify, and, mm -hmm. uh, and so on. Mm -hmm. And another mm -hmm. company that's also pursuing this, this type of intervention is uh, uh, is Aviv, that's an Israeli company yep, yep, yep. that is uh, pushing for HBOT, uh, hyperbaric oxygen therapy. And the yep. idea there is to uh, place people, you know, during a few weeks in these uh, hyperbaric oxygen uh, chambers. And, and they have, again, here also incredible uh, uh, preliminary results and, and are in the process of setting up clinical trials that will really assess the efficacy of this, this treatment. So that these would be, so, you know, yeah. 
a whole series of inventions. And, you know, the, the bottom line for me in this field is that it's so early uh, and there are so many incredible opportunities that uh, I embrace them all. Let's just right. test and, and go through rigorous testing and demonstrate their efficacy or not, and then move on. And um, uh, Right, absolutely. Whole, yeah. So there's a whole other field. You just, that, uh, yeah, go ahead. You you just named like 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 five different like areas, uh, and I'm sure you could probably name more that you're excited about. Like I share that sentiment. You know, we need as many. It is so early. You, like we need as many shots on goal as possible. Um, you know, the 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 plasma phoresis stuff. Uh, it, it's it's a uh, it's the 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 parabiosis stuff always freaks me out because it, it, I, I don't want to be the uh, you know I go to these longevity events as the younger person I don't want to be the young mouse if you catch you what don't want to be the blood boy did you see <laughs> yeah, Silicon yeah, Valley yeah yeah exactly I, I'm you know I, I uh, the, jo the jokes on them I, I've been eating the whoppers for the last two uh, two years so uh, <laughs> so they don't want my blood but that's a, that's a joke um, but so so I want to pivot a little bit and kind of discuss something that you've been mentioning in, in, in the last you know five minutes uh, pretty extensively uh, you've been mentioning co uh, companies uh, you know outside of the US right so you know you're from Belgium uh, and I don't know much about the longevity space in Belgium but you I, I believe you just said rejuvenate bios in Belgium yeah, uh, you you mentioned those few Swiss companies. You mentioned the company firm Israel. So you know, can you kind of tell our audience a little bit about the longevity scene? You know, obviously, you know, it, it, not just in, uh, you know, you know, not not just specific to companies, but in, in terms of the, the 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 wider scene. You know, where do you see most of the activity happening? Is it in Europe? You know, is it in America? I mean, I would assume it's in America because most of the companies reside over here. But like, where is like the next big wave? Of longevity research coming from, you know, there's obviously the Evolution Foundation. There's there, you know, there's things that you know, there's the population crisis that's impending in pretty much all Asian countries, right? So, you know, there's they're soon to get involved. Like, where do you see the next big hub uh, of uh, you know longevity medicine? Uh, and if it's the U.S., you know, that that's also an answer too. I mean, I, I think the U.S. is still in a very strong position to kind of lead the world in this space. But what what are your thoughts? I agree. I think it, you know, it's. I mean, the short answer is that it's become global. But if you look historically, uh, a lot of the, the basic research on aging emerged out of the Boston area and the San Francisco mm -hmm. Bay Area. Um, right now, it, it is still very much uh, focused, I would say, mostly in, in, in the Bay Area, and uh, both in terms of academics and in terms of um, uh, biotech companies, so that... Mm -hmm. We probably have, you know, the largest concentration. I started, um, a good example of this is I started uh, about 15 years ago with Danica Chen, who's a professor at Berkeley, uh, a working group, which was what we call the Bay Area Aging Meeting. And our, so the idea was mm -hmm. to bring academicians, you know, or biotech people from the Bay Area studying aging. Our first meeting had 60 people. And we, we hold these meetings now uh, three times a year. We rotate between Stanford, the Buck, uh, UCSF, and Berkeley. Mm -hmm. And every one of our meetings is close to or more than 600 people, which is uh, pretty remarkable. You know, when I when I look at this and I just realize, you know, this field has just grown. And, and, and right now we're at full capacity. We can't, we can't get any bigger than this. And so that just gives you a representation of what's happening in the field, you know, to have... 600 people 
three times a year getting together to talk about science in, in one single area is pretty remarkable. But yeah. obviously, you know, we're not, we're the early ones, but we're not the only ones. Mm -hmm. um, now, you know, global re research on aging has really become a global process. Uh, I mean, there are some countries which have a bigger footprint and probably would be Germany and England right now. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, but that's also historically for much of biology. Um, Again, right. that doesn't mean that there are no research programs in Belgium or France and other countries, but clearly uh, Germany and England are leading the way in Europe. And in terms of biotech, I think we've seen this really becoming global as well. You know, the Middle East right now is growing very quickly. Um, there are, you know, large foundations that are coming into the field. Yep. Yep. Um, so, you know, Switzerland, Germany, every everywhere. I think uh, that's the exciting part of the field right now. You know, we've talked about this hockey stick uh, type of uh, inflection point that would happen in, in the field. We talked about it for many years, and it's in the last two or three years, it's finally happening. We've seen mm -hmm. an incredibly rapid growth of, um, of of funding and interest and and discoveries. Frankly, absolutely, yeah. And you know, like you said, there's a lot of you know philanthropic action, right? But you know, what you know, what what my, what what my thought process is, and the reason why I started A for Li is because. You know, the U.S. government has the largest purse in the entire world, bigger than any company, bigger than any country, bigger than any any entity that's ever existed ever. Right. And, uh, you know, I'm sure you know the numbers, but only what, you know, the NIA Division of Aging Biology gets, what, three, four hundred million dollars a year. I don't know what the number is going to be this next upcoming year. But, uh, you know, uh, if, if, if you compare it to, you say, the Evolution Foundation of Saudi Arabia, you know, the you know, if we want to, you know, ha have the same proportionality with them, if we, you know, account for GDP and sizes of our country, we should be investing billions and billions of government dollars into into this space, right? So, yes. uh, you know, and 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 that's one of our biggest goals, right, at A4LI is to, you know, continue to unlock government funds for the space through different programs, whether it's the NIH, whether it's the NIA, whether it's ARPA H, whether it's you know uh, NSF, whatever it may be. Uh, you know, we, we, that, that's that's part of our goal, right? And so, one of the things we want to see uh, happen, and uh, you know, I'm, I'm actually very happy that. So, so I, I haven't gotten to tell you, and I'm, I guess I'll tell uh, our audience, but we're going to get this caucus together by the by the new uh, Congress, and we're working to find the, our, our fourth and final Republican co-chair. So, uh, anybody yeah, listening, if you, yeah, it's very it's very very exciting. You know, it's working out in a very nice way, and you know, we'll we'll make the announcement with who is involved uh but you know some really high profile politicians are, are on or it's, uh, it's fantastic it's very congratulations good. i think well, it's going to be a really important aspect of everything I, that we try to do I, I i hope so too because you know i mean work you know doing work with the fda and, and getting funds from the government is a lot easier when you have an interest group within the government right so uh we're, we're we you know we'll, we'll be making that announcement soon that's not this that's not the point of this but uh, you know, what I'm excited about is we got this done early. I was expecting to, you know, get this done by like September of 2023. And the fact that we're getting this done closer to November, December of 2022 means that we get two shots at, you know, increasing appropriations to the NIH NIA, right? We, you know, the appropriation season is February to March, uh, fe uh, February to April-ish, April's a little late. But now since we have this caucus together, we can make two formal asks with the caucus, which is very, very exciting. So, I just wanted to get that all out on the table. Very exciting news. But here's my question for you, Eric. So uh, let's say, you know, the uh, you know, I don't know what the budget exactly looks like at the buck, 
But let's say the amount of government funds that you guys receive just doubled overnight. What 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 do you think that would allow you to actually do? Like, what would you accomplish? Would you you know would you need time to figure it out, or you know do you do you have like immediate needs to, uh, for, for for funding? Like, how 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 uh, dire? Not just for you guys, just in general, I would say for the for the field, how dire are uh, you know an influx of funding? Well, you know there there are many ways to look at this. Um, one way to 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 say it is that the field right now is not short of ideas. Uh, we're short of funding, and so you know if there was all of a sudden more funding. There are so many more things that we could do that we cannot do right now. Uh, a second aspect is the fact that right now, because the funding is so tight from, from the NIA uh, in terms of basic research on aging, we spent, all of us, an inordinate amount of time writing applications you know, mm-hmm. and being denied funding. Right now, the funding is around 10 to 15%. So if you write a grant application, you have one in 10, one in 15 chances of seeing it uh, funded. That means you have to go back, you know, and I, I've always argued that there are no reviewers that can really reproducibly distinguish an application that is in the top 10 versus the top 20. So if you look at the, the second tier, you know, from 10 to 20, these are top applications. They should right. be funded immediately. Right. Instead, right. instead, you know, it takes six months to find out that your application is not funded, and then you have to go back and reapply. And in the meantime, the work is not getting done. Right. So I think we have an incredible amount of uh, potential targets and directions to expand on that are not being done. And I, I've always argued that, you know, if you think about aging as the major risk factor for all of the non-communicable diseases, chronic disease of aging, there should be so much more spent in terms of part of our budget uh, from the NIH uh, focusing on these core mechanisms because they will affect all of the diseases. Instead, we have a system which is still organized in silos, you know, where we have a, a National Heart, Blood and Lung Institute, and we have an institute for cancer. We have we have institutes that are focusing on individual diseases and we don't pay enough attention to the core, uh, which is aging. So I think, you know, there is a need for more funding. If there were was more funding at the back, we would expand. You know, we're ready to expand our efforts. And and right now, because of the the length and the, the heaviness of the, the grant writing process, uh, more and more of our work is being funded by philanthropic organizations. Right. And so right. that allows us, you know, write an application within a month it's reviewed, uh, a month after we get the fund and we go on. And a, a larger and larger fraction of our budget is actually uh, uh, coming from these types of sources. And I think, right. you know, I also, frankly, I also like the NIH because it's an extremely rigorous uh, organization in terms of when you get a grant from the NIH, you have jumped through so many hoops in terms of the validity of your work and the seriousness. So for us, getting a large fraction, about 50% of our budget comes from the NIH is is a is an external validation of the quality sure. of our science. And, and sure. so I would not want to change this, but I, I think uh, for, for your listeners out there, they should know that uh, there are so many other things that could be conducted. For example, I, I've been interested in conducting a clinical trial for rapamycin in humans. Mm-hmm. And uh, we mm-hmm. haven't 
you know, th this 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 experiment cries to be conducted. Uh, everyone knows rapamycin is the most uh, powerful drug uh, to that we have today to slow down the aging process and to increase lifespan and health span in animal models. And we've known this for a number of years. Actually, some of the early discoveries were made here at the Buck. But the fact that we still have not conducted a, clin a human clinical trial, for me, is, is hard to understand. So, right. again, right. I probably would never go to the NIH asking for this, um, because I think it was unlikely to be funded. But uh, donors might be interested in this type of work. And so there's an incredible need uh, for people who are passionate about our field to come and help us to realize all of its potential. Yeah, I mean, you know, well, a, I, I, fifty percent of the NIH funds—that's that's, that is quite impressive. I didn't realize that. Um, but yeah, you know, there are so many, uh, uh, you know, um, like I, I hear this all the time when I, you know, I, I try to, you know, bring sponsors onto the A4LI, uh, you know, for, in, into the A4LI world, right? And there are all these, you know, biotechs, these small biotechs, you know, trying to write, you know, grants to even get their, uh, you know, project off the ground. Uh, and they can't because, you know, they have to write 50 grants and, you know, with the hopes that one of them even gets accepted. Right. And, you know, uh, the, the, the process uh, for, for review to acceptance or rejection is, is too long. But also, the, 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 like you said, you know, that, that second tier probably is, you know, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I'm not a, I'm not a grant reviewer. I'm not a, you know, a, 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 you know, I'm not a reviewer of these things, but I would argue the top 50 might be even worth, you know, looking at like, you know, why not? Right. I mean, you know, the, the more, the more shots on goal, like I said before, I mean, that's my, that's my hypothesis, the more shots on goal, the better, but, you know, uh, I, I think America and, you know, the, the American government, the NIH, they, they, we, we take pride in the fact that we, you know, uh, only kind of fund the, the most, uh, you know, uh, the, the best science, right? So, yes. uh, you know, I, I don't necessarily know if we need to change it, but, you know, maybe maybe a little more expansion on the amount of grants and, the, uh, you know, uh, maybe uh, uh, shorten the amount of time that it takes for, for, for people to find out would be a great thing. But uh, yeah, okay. Well, you know, we're going to continue to push for more money uh, also, just because, you know, those, like like I was about to mention, you know, those, there, there are those biotechs out there. There are those, you know, people who are trying to get, you know, I, I saw recently someone from uh, UC Berkeley using a GoFundMe to start his, uh, you know, longevity biotech. Like there, there's no, uh, there's no reason that he should have to do that. You know, he, if, if he has a legitimate idea or uh, I shouldn't say he or, he or she has a legitimate idea, you just go, you know, you, uh, the government should be wanting to fund these new exciting initiatives. Right. So, uh, yeah, I, 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 I think that's an interesting point. And, you know, I think, like I mentioned, we do have a shot to actually get that done, uh, you know, the, the twice. We have two two chances now instead of, you know, what I originally thought, just we, we have one. Um, so so we're, we're almost out of time here, Eric. So I, I, I want to wrap up with one question, two more questions. I want to wrap up with two more questions. Um, the first question is, and this is, uh, you know, something you might not have too strong of an opinion on, but maybe you do. Um, we saw, you know, I'm sure you've seen, uh, the crypto space get very involved with longevity over the last year, year and a half, you know, probably since the, you know, 2021 started, I would say, um, I'm not, I, I, I'm still kind of figuring out why I, I guess they kind of go hand in hand in that they're both futuristic kind of, uh, fields, but I don't, I, I never really fully understood why, but I, I, I appreciate the crypto community getting involved, but so, so I guess my question is, you know, since you're, I mean, you're in the tech capital of the world, 
like uh what other you know big tech areas are moving to longevity like crypto did like i it would make sense to me that like space would be a an, a natural uh you know uh, ally with the longevity community do you have other kind of uh you know spaces that you see getting in very involved with philanthropic efforts like uh crypto did well i so there's been you know a little bit of a perception that um which is actually harmful for our field that that our field is sort of funded by the rich for the rich mm-hmm. sure and this you know some of the perception for this was that uh many of the biggest players in, in silicon valley uh have actually contributed to aging research you know jeff bezos uh, has been involved you know mm-hmm. in, in it uh, sergey brin and 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 nicole shanahan uh you know the chan zuckerberg all of this contributing to aging research has contributed to the idea that you know maybe this is uh, these are people who are billionaires and they want to live forever and uh, mm-hmm. and i think there's nothing wrong with this i think what it just reflects is the fact that these are the people who are in our neighborhoods and and what they're doing in terms of supporting aging research is they've identified as one of the key areas of growth of biology in the next 20 to 50 years and they're doing the same thing that the Rockefellers and Carnegies were doing back in, in 1900, you know? Absolutely. They were supporting, you know, Rockefeller University and making huge discoveries at the time in infectious diseases and, and mm-hmm. immunology and so on. So th- there's really nothing unique about this. One thing that, um, uh, and and again, the crypto crypto group is, is the same. I've, I've met with a, a whole group of uh, crypto uh, young uh, investors recently uh, at a meeting that was jointly organized so that we would interact uh, between aging scientists scientists in, uh, in, in aging and, and crypto uh, investors. And one of the things that really struck me was it was the uh, is the shift that uh, you know one of the important thing that we're trying to do is really change medicine. Uh, or or to add on to medicine and make medicine uh, much more preventative. Medicine should be something that starts when you're 30, which is the time when we think you start aging and and you should be monitored and and you should be evaluated and your lifestyle and interventions should be conducted throughout life. And a a typical signal that this message is actually uh, uh, being received is the fact that younger and younger people are interested in their in their health and their well-being because they mm-hmm. realize you know the investment that you make when you're 20, 30, 40 will carry you know throughout the rest of your life. And so to me that's incredibly exciting. Uh, the combination Absolutely. of you know the people who have the money and who discover well, you know, I always say uh, 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 wealth without with without health is worthless. Uh, Absolutely. Yep. If you if you can be wealthy and, and be able to enjoy it with a long, healthy life, this is really incredibly important. And so, you know, the people who do this, do it, uh, support us from the crypto world, from the tech world, uh, do it out of passion, uh, out of self-interest and out of the vision that uh, aging has become a tractable problem. And, mm-hmm. and, and so these are people who are used to solving problems very quickly. Uh, it takes some education on our side to tell them how, you know, the, the clocks are ticking more slowly in biology than they do in technology. It's just mm-hmm. harder. But the the, the 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 importance of the mission is absolutely amazing. And 
uh, it really uh, sort of invigorates us to think that we have a whole young generation of people uh, sort of backing us up and and trying to help us accelerate our mission. Absolutely. Yeah. There's a ton of young talent, uh, you know, that I've seen it, you know, people, you know, just in their twenties, thirties, forties, you know, a lot of like younger people jumping from different fields into, in, into this space to get involved because they're so excited about it. That is really exciting. I'm, I'm with you on that. Uh, and I also wanted to just say, well, you know, just to add on to one point that, that, that you, that you said, you know, there, there is this perception kind of that, uh, you know, I'm not kind of, there is the perception that longevity and aging therapeutics are, you know, being made by the rich for the rich. Right. And, uh, you know, that's also kind of one of the, you know, reasons why I wanted to get the government involved because, you know, the government is, uh, uh taxpayer money needs to be going to this. The government needs to, you know, have some sort of, uh, you know, uh, not, not hand on the lever, but, you know, uh, work with the private, uh, you know, investors and, uh, you know, rich folk and, uh, philanthropists, you know, moving this field forward, they, you know, the government needs to be working hand in hand with them and, you know, uh, and, and, and that way, you know, we will ensure that this, these drugs and therapies become affordable for all. Right. Because at the end of the day, you know, I don't think any, uh, longevity scientists or investor or entrepreneur, uh, or any, any longevity advocate wants this to be just for billionaires or for the rich, right? I think everybody wants to see uh, the entirety of uh, human civilization become healthier, uh, and 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 you know, so 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 that that's kind of my vision. You know, the, that's why I, I that's, that's the pitch I make to the government. You know, to, to policymakers all the time. You know, this is, uh, you know, as much of it. You know, this is. You know, we, there are roadblocks and barriers in the government that need to be removed to help this field flourish, but also from a you know, a public perspective, uh, perception uh, standpoint, you know, uh, the, the uh, government needs to be involved to, to show that this is for everybody, right? You know, the government is supposed to represent everybody. And, you know, if they're involved, uh, it, it shows that, uh, you know, this is for everybody, right? So uh, I, I agree with you, everything, everything you said there, too. I'm glad, I'm, uh, you know, every everything Nobody can see uh, my head nodding up and down, but uh, I, I might have to. I might have to put a, an ice pack on my uh, neck after this because I've been agreeing with you so hard, uh, Eric. So uh, that 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 that's good on my end because you know at least at least I'm uh, you know a, a, a sane actor in that in that respect. Um, so Eric, uh, we have the last like two minutes here, um, so I want to just you know uh, just kind of. What I like to do to end off these interviews is, is is ask our guest to say something that gives our audience hope for the future. You know, why should we be optimistic? Uh, you know, about the world in ten to twenty, thirty plus years. You know, what's your outlook on humanity? Uh, and you know, if you're not optimistic, you know, how can we how how can we get you optimistic? What would you like to see happen in the world? It's a wonderful question. It's it's one that's actually really easy for me to answer. Um, I am an optimist. I am actually I'm, I sometimes being faulted for being too optimistic, um, but it, that's just the way I'm built. So I, I, I'm not planning to change this. Uh, one thing I would like your audience to to know is that uh, the 20th century, when you look back, was the century of physics. Mm -hmm. uh, if you think about what happened in the 20s and 30s uh, with Einstein and, you know, the, the laws of physics were being deciphered. And this led to, you know, within the short order in the 1950s to the first transistor and eventually, you know, computer chips and so on. Um, and, and think about what happened from, you know, 
50 years of basic discoveries, the first half of the of the, the 20th century. And then we are now 70 years later, you know, 2020, all walking around with a supercomputer in our pocket. Mm-hmm. This, this phone revolution has just been nothing short of outstanding. When I was a kid, we used to talk about the fact that one day we would be able to see each other talking on the telephone. And that just sounded totally science fiction. But now, not only this, but we do it in our pockets. And we have, just think about Wikipedia, think about everything we have with this telephone. It's absolutely amazing. Now, the 21st century that we're living in now will be known as the as the century of biology, just like last century was the century of physics. Mm-hmm. And what we are doing right now is very parallel. You know, we're laying out the basis of a, of a global understanding of the aging process and its ability to influence um, disease. And now, you know, I, I love to make predictions, but I, it, they're extremely hard to make. And I, mm-hmm. I think no one in the 1920s was able to project to project and predict what would happen 100 years later. Mm-hmm. And so I will abstain from any prediction, but it, it's, it's hard for me not to be excited about what lies ahead for us in terms of health. Um, you know, we if you think about the science of aging, it, it has undergone a revolution in the last 25 years. We now know that aging is a biological problem that can be studied, you know, with the modern tools of molecular biology and genetics. And and this will lead to, you know, incredible new discoveries. Now, you know, I don't think this will ever lead to immortality. And I, I frankly, I don't like mm-hmm. the fact that some people in our field are using that term because that mm-hmm. puts us in another realm, which is the one of religion. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that uh, nothing wrong with this, but I think that there's no, in my opinion, no disc- no, no need to talk about uh, outlandish uh, claims such as immortality. Um, uh, but, you know, beyond this, I think no one knows what's going to happen, except... Sure incredible potential that we are studying one of the core mechanisms that leads to disease. And, you know, I, I've said, you know, if if we already were able to realize for everyone to live to 95 in good health, think about the alter- you know, what we have right now. You know, most yep. people live to 65 in good health. Yep. The next 30 years of quality life would already be amazing. And this, right. I think, is, is reachable today. Right. Uh, right. So to me, that's already... One thing we're working on very actively, what the future will 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 bring us, I, I think it will be amazing, but I, I won't be able to tell you exactly what it's going to look like. Sure, sure. Well, I uh, I share your optimism, and you know I think there needs to be more optimism about the future. I think a lot of people are worried about you know what the world's going to look like if it's you know I, I, we do focus groups all the time, and some people say. You know, is the world going to be worth living in in, in 50, 100, 150, whatever, how many years we talk about? Um, and so, you know, I uh, I say yes, because, you know, uh, I, I'm sitting here in, a, in, a, in an air conditioned room, uh, you know, with 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 a whole foods drink outside and you're sitting in your you know office in an air conditioned room. And, you know, 100 years ago, we would be you know, sweating and in huts and, and, and not happy, right? Or not, not, not huts, but, you know, uh, relative huts uh, to what we have now. And, 
uh, you know, the hundred years before that, it was much worse, right? So you have to, you know, we have to look at things in in in, in, in kind of large historical data sets, right? And, and kind of see, you know, how much, pro like you said, like we, you know, it's actually qu quite nice. The way we started, you know, we, uh, the way we started this podcast is we looked back on your uh, beginnings and longevity. And, you know, it's always good to reflect on, you know, the beginnings, not just of an individual's career, but also uh, humanity, right? You know, uh, where where we were hundreds of years ago to where we have gotten today, uh, you know, gives me optimism, uh, it gives me hope, and it, it makes me optimistic uh, for the future. So Eric, again, finally, you know, every question, uh, you know, I'm, I'm definitely putting a nice pack on my neck. I, we, we, we're, we're, we're on the same wavelength, 100%, and I'm glad to hear that. Um, I think you're probably out of time here now, so I'm going to let you run. Uh, is there anything you'd like to say to our A uh, A4L I audience before you go? No, just uh, want to congratulate you and your colleagues for putting this organization together. I think this, uh, I believe, you will play an important role in, in our mission, and I, 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 I will issue this as a as a public invitation to any of your. Um, listeners who are interested in visiting the buck and learning more about what we're doing to come and visit. And, uh, and I look forward to our future interactions and, and thank you for the opportunity to speak today. It was, was great. Thank you. I'm going to take you up on that offer, Eric, sometime soon. All right. Sometime Absolutely. very soon. Absolutely. All right. Cool. 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 All right. Well, good uh, Eric, to good talking to you and thank you for everybody listening. Uh, please, you know, stay tuned for our next installation of the A4LI podcast series. Thank you all for listening.